Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. A case for Liverpool's defence. Hello and welcome to episode 22 of this season's Real Football Cast. As always, I'm your host Dan Tracy and in the next 60 minutes we'll be dissecting all the hot topics in football. As per usual, we'll be discussing what's been going on in the Premier League over the past few days while in addition to that, there are also some off-pitch activities that have caught our eye and they'll be getting our attention in the next hour. It's been another incredible week of football and this week it's again two up top. That means leading the line around the captain's armband this week is Matthew. So Matthew, how have you been since we last spoke? Um, I've been good. It's, 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 a, it's a bit of a mixed week. It's obviously Fulham managed to get the result, but for reasons which will become clear later on. Um, I'm not exactly 100% happy with how it all went down. But yes, overall, I'd say we're good. I'm glad to hear. And also, as always, you're joined by Palace fan Max. Max, I hope all is well. But I have a feeling, after that 3-0 reverse to Burnley, things might not be the case. Yeah, I think that's I think that's quite a fair comment. Uh, I'm sure we'll get into that later on. We certainly will. Before we do, though, I'll do the social media bits first, as we will be talking into the abyss once more. So, first, if you want to get in touch with me, you can. That's on Twitter, at Dan Tracy. 1983. Also, the podcast has its own account, which is at Real Football Pod. And if you want to become a shareholder, all you need to do is follow and join our very elite members club, which now has more than 700 shareholders. So thanks to everyone new and old who has joined the uh, brigade. You can find me via iTunes by searching for Real Football Cast. If you use that platform, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And if you like us, leave a review so we move up the league table. And if you're not a fan of all things Apple, you can find me on SoundCloud, Audio Boom, and Spotify. To be honest, you can find me on about 10 links if you go to Linktree slash Real Football Cast. All you need to do is put a dot between the R and the E, and there's a multitude of platforms. Pick your poison. It's never been easier to listen. And I can also announce a new content partner with goldground.com. I'll be lending my thoughts on a sort of almost daily basis across the weeks and months, so check out those articles once you listen to the show. Right, it's time to go live. And where should we go first? Well, we can only really go to the King Power, can't we? Because was it a six-pointer? Maybe, but it was certainly an important clash in terms of top four aspirations. 
And Matthew, after that result, the Foxes will be confident that although there's some football still to be played, that the top four collapse of last season won't happen this time around. Yeah, absolutely. I know you said six-pointer. I'm assuming you meant it wasn't a six-pointer in terms of the title race because I think we no, can no, equivoc- course, no. Yeah, we, we can equivocally rule out Leicester and Liverpool on both ends. But yes. yeah, when it comes to top four contention, yes, six-pointer. And there is just that little thing of, you know, even though Liverpool haven't quite been the team that they are, the fact that Leicester managed to... You know, pick off one of the big teams as it were and a team that's in and around them just gives you that little bit of sense of you know they learned their lesson from last year now you know Brendan Rodgers probably would have said you know this isn't happening again and you know if you know if we want to make something of this club you know there's the transformation going on with that I think like a hundred million pound a new training center which looks fantastic but if they really want to make something of this club and really take it to the next level then this is the team we have to beat and these are the results we have to pick up and you know Liverpool weren't exactly at the races but fair credit to Leicester for you know even though they went behind for answering the bell absolutely fantastically so Max you know by the same token if we're saying that Leicester are not a cert for the top four but they're looking more likely at the time of recording Liverpool are six now it's looking like a rather meek defence of the title, but is it going to be so meek that next season their European exploits are the preserve of Thursday nights? Well, to be honest, they're going to be thinking about it, aren't they? They're going to be thinking about, well, actually, you know, and Jürgen Klopp conceded the title. And I don't think that that's, you know, like a little a little mental trick or, you know, trying to put pressure on City. I think he genuinely just realises that the title's gone. And it has, um, in my opinion. Um, and so, yeah, the, I mean, they're not miles off um, the, the, the rest of the pack in, you know, contention for the other uh, Champions League spots. You know, they're only six points off um, United who, and, and Leicester, who are second. Um, and, you know, that's just two results. Obviously, Jota's going to come back. Um, Quebec had an all right debut. Um, obviously, had the little the little blunder with um, Alisson. But in my opinion, that's more Alisson's fault for instigating that you know Kabak looked quite good against quite a quite a quite an exciting Leicester attack and so you know when Liverpool have their have their players back you know they're not going to carry on in this vein because the the players are just too good to to allow that so I think they will get Champions League fairly comfortably you'd say probably West Ham are you know maybe overperforming um but at the same time you know, it, it, there are 24 games gone of the season. It's not six games in and we're saying, oh, right, well, you know, they've just been on a on a little run of a couple games. We're like two-thirds of the way through the season and they're, you know, this appears to be kind of sustainable for West Ham. But, yeah, I think Liverpool will be getting back into the Champions League spots. Although, you know, imagine how embarrassing it would be for Liverpool having, you know, said that they weren't um, gonna gonna slack off and they were gonna attack the title race, not defend it. Imagine if they didn't get um, Champions League the season after. Would that be the biggest drop after winning the title, the lowest position that a team's finished? I don't know. Um, top of my head's probably Blackburn. I think are the very worst, and then Leicester didn't have a great defence. But in terms of a you know big club winning the league, no district to Leicester or Blackburn, of course, that would probably be the worst one. But Matthew, if it is the worst one. Does the house of cards collapse quite quickly? Does Mo Salah think, oh, do you know what? Bayern Munich, they might be winning a ninth successive Bundesliga. I'd like to go make it 10. Does that happen? I think I think there is some element to that because I was, I was writing at work today about how Liverpool really need to, and I, I think I've said this on the podcast before, Liverpool really need to take this season as a bit of a as a bit of a blip, as it were. You know, given the Van Dijk and Gomez injuries, they've obviously taken a step back. But also when you consider what they've done in the past three years, 
you know, 17-18, Champions League final, then they won the Champions League, then they, you know, and the Club World Cup, then they won the Premier League after a 30-year wait. If we're being honest, if you have to have this season as a, you know, as a trade-off for what you've had the past three seasons, I think every single club in the world would take that. So I think the fans, that's one thing. But the players, no, I don't, I don't think so. I think they will also understand that this is just a one-year blip. This is, this isn't us, in a sense. So they will probably be in a position to go again. And I think touching on what we're talking about, you know, in the Europa League, I think that might actually be more beneficial to them because that's more of a chance because the, the opposition isn't, you know, no disrespect to the Europa League, but the opposition quality isn't quite at the same level as it is uh, compared to the compared to the Champions League. So on those Thursday nights, assuming Jurgen Klopp does rotate his players, because I know that's been another bugbear this season, but they will have a more of a chance to rest the likes of Salah, Mane, Firmino, Henderson and at all on Thursday nights and then really have a go at the, at the uh, Premier League on, on Sundays when they get back to it. So I don't think there's going to be, it's going to be a complete disaster. There may be some tweaks, like maybe James Milner you know, gets a transfer out, out where and they bring in someone a bit more mobile, a bit more younger and fitter. But other than that, I don't see many major changes, if that's the way you want to put it. OK, then Max, if we go back to the game on Saturday, it's fair to say after going in front, it went wrong in double quick time. And also, there's an element of VAR double bubble. So the first segment I'll give to you, do you think it was the right decision to give a free kick rather than a penalty? Uh, yes, I do. I think it was uh, outside the box. It was close, but it was outside. OK, then, because Matthew ultimately profited in the end, but do you think it was the right decision for the offside to be overturned? Is this the point where we all hail technology? Um... No, I'll, I'll be honest. I'm, no, again, wow. this is, no, no, sorry, no, this is one of those marginal things ah. where, again, I, I, in the grand scheme of things, I'm not going to be all bothered by that. I think we've made our points on, on VAR multiple times over the course of this. Although I will say that whole passage of play from the original free kick slash penalty, VAR, then the offside, was absolutely brilliant. Now, I happened to be listening to it on the radio because I was uh, busy going to my other work at the time. I obviously watched the highlights later. But just the sheer confusion that was going on throughout the whole stretch of play was fantastic. And that is what VAR was brought into to add some entertainment to the game. And by Jovic did that so Matt you just mentioned about Allison and Kabak who was responsible I know you sort of intimated it was more Allison. do you want to expand on that a bit more uh yeah I do and you know this is maybe the, the, the center back in me but basically um Kabak is he was kind of running backwards towards his own goal but watching the ball right so he's running backwards Allison is behind everyone he's the furthest back he can see things playing out in front of him he can see everything happening in front of him if you're going to come for it, you need to give Kabak a shout. You need to give him a shout. He's like a, what, a 20-year-old kid on his debut in the Premier League against Leicester, who are unbelievable in attack. Um, so if you're going to come out and make a play for it, then you need to be screaming at him from five seconds earlier to let him know that you're coming so that he knows to avoid you. You know, he's the one who's um, who's kind of running back, running back towards his own goal. But looking at the ball, he can't see Alisson coming. And apart from all that, Alisson's the senior player. You know, he's the, he's he's a big guy. He's been there. He's a big player for them. He, he's been there. He, he's won titles with them. You know, he's the experienced one, and he should definitely have been the one to to kind of take control of that situation. And to be honest, I don't think it was even necessary for Alisson to come out if Kabak wasn't there. And Alisson thought, right, I think I can get there. 
I'm going to get there first, then fine, you know, trust your instinct. But if there's a defender there, then, you know, what's the point? Even if Vardy does get onto, onto it, you'd back Alisson in, in a one-on-one situation. So I definitely think it's his fault. To be fair, Matthew, Alisson has had a terrible week or, you know, seven, eight days, whatever. But he did make a tremendous save to stop Vardy making it 3-1. Then again, yeah, abs- it's, I guess it really it's irrelevant though in the context of the game because the damage has been done, hasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think we've talked about this before. Is there are a couple of goalkeepers who have the who have the credit built up that if they go through a bit of a you know if they get the yips in this in this um, time of year or go through a couple of games, it, it's we're not we're not questioning Allison's position in the grand scheme of things. We're not saying oh Liverpool need to go out and buy a new goalkeeper in the way that. We were with Chelsea and Ariza Balaga. You know, they need to go out and get something. Allison still has that place, you know, locked down in in a sense. So, and 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 as he went and proved on, you know, he's he is still a good goalkeeper with the save he made he made later on. So, so long as this isn't a really, you know, if this is a two week thing, then it's absolutely fine. It's when it starts to become, you know, three or four weeks. Are uh, the Champions League? They're playing tonight, aren't they? As we record. Yep. So if it's so if he makes a mistake again tonight. And then whoever they have on Saturday, if it starts to become a problem, then you start to ask the question. But at the moment, two games, his place is still safe. Well, Max, talking of damage, it really was done by the time Harvey Barnes made it three. So that's seven goals shipped by Liverpool in the last two league outings. Is it time for some more soul searching at Anfield? Um, It's kind of difficult to say because in a way, you know, obviously they're not going to be pleased with the defending. um, But Man City are you know, the best attacking side, probably the best defensive side um, in the league as as well. Um, and if you think about it, their, their goals kind of came, that three-goal glut right at the end in seven minutes, I think it was, came directly from two goalkeeper errors. And then the the, the fourth one were, were, you know, when the game was kind of already decided. And then against Leicester, it was kind of a, a, bit, of a, a bit of a late collapse as well. You know, a set piece, marginal offsides, um, kind of counter-attack goal, and so there are there are problems there, um, but I don't think um, I don't think that their defence is completely shot to bits. You know, Robertson, Alexander Arnold are still quality players. Van Dijk, uh, Gomez, Matip are obviously all out for the season, but they're all quality players as well. Um, so I think definitely next season they won't have any worries when everyone's back fit again. For the moment, they're going to be a little bit worried, but. You know, Davis has got a knock. Um, ben Davis has got a knock as, as soon as he went in. Um, it was Kabak's first game and Alisson is, you know, making mistakes all over the place. So I, I'm sure they'll get it ironed out because, you know, they're good enough. And once Kabak maybe beds into the team, once Davis is fit and offering a bit of competition to the players who are currently playing in defence, um, you know, Fabinho and Henderson and all of that, then I'm, I'm sure they'll, they'll get back to their, to their, to their, to their solid ways. OK, then, talking of soul-searching, I think that can certainly be said about Tottenham. Now, Carl's not here, so that allows me to get a more neutral stance on matters from you two. So, Matthew, does it look like the wheels are... Fu- well, I wouldn't say finally, they are starting to fall off the Spurs chariot at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. And I, do, I, don't, I don't want to laugh, because I can do... can laugh, mate, it's fine. <laughs> I do want to, but... <laughs> Well, I want to laugh because... No, laugh, mate. It's obviously a problem. I've been rooting for Tottenham all this time. I don't want to say they're my second team, but just because of, you know, one of my best friends is a Spurs fan, so I want Spurs to do well because I want want them to do well. So this is really painful for me to say as well. And I honestly don't know. Every single week, it seems to be a whole different problem. So I have no idea what exactly... Like, 
when it came when they weren't scoring many goals when they had Harry Kane, you could say, oh, when Harry Kane gets back, it, it will all be fine. And then they do. And then all of a sudden, the defence is the problem, which is what Jose Mourinho was criticised for early in the season. They're saying, oh, he's too defensive and all that stuff. Now, all of a sudden, the defence is falling apart. So it just seems to be a whole different problem every single week. So, yes, the wheels are falling off just one wheel at a time. Very well put, Matthew. So, Max, how much of that is down to the defence, as Matthew's just said? Is it a case of the personnel that Mourinho is selecting is the problem or is it actually the wider issue of Hugo Lloris? And if it is the latter... Obviously, you cannot question his servitude to the club, length of tenure, a great tenure at that. But is he part of what should be a painful rebuild in the summer? Um, it's difficult to say because he has been pretty. He has been obviously an amazing servant to the club, as, as you and, and and Carl well know. Um, but he he has been a little bit shaky uh, recently. A couple of the goals um, Everton scored in that manic five four um, were you could say were maybe he could have done a bit better, um, but. I don't know. I, I'm not such a fan of the the backups at Spurs as starting keepers. You know, I think Hart and Gazaniga um, kind of offer decent cover, but I mean, it, it's it's tricky. I think generally Lloris has been quite good. And earlier in the season, you know, when you were keeping six clean sheets in a row or what, whatever it was, um, that 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 wasn't be, kind of being discussed at all. And he hasn't had much protection in front of him. And it is interesting that earlier in the season, you know, Spurs were grinding out one nils and nil nils, and people were saying, "Oh, you know, it's it's boring. They're just so defensively solid. It's not great to watch." Um, and then, and then now that that what what was their strength is now becoming their weakness. Obviously, conceded five to to Everton, but yeah, it, it's strange. He just doesn't seem to know what his best system is. So Aurier is his best right back or his most talented right back, but is you know got kind of attitude problems and. He got in trouble because he um, he got substituted at half time and he just went out the stadium. Doherty hasn't really taken, <clears throat> excuse me, he hasn't really taken to hasn't really taken to the club. He's obviously much more used to wing back than he is to full back. So now, um, despite those two right backs being there, now he's kind of playing Tanganga out of position. You actually did all right at right back. Um, Regulon is a big miss because he's a class player. Um, and Ben Davis is, you know, probably okay, decent, solid second choice, but um, you know, n- not as good as Regulon. Definitely going forward. And then, at, and then at centre back, you know, he's he's just kind of been chopping and changing. Um, previously, Dyer has been ever present, but then his form dipped. So Sanchez and Alderweireld have been coming in, but Sanchez can be a bit of a, you know, a hothead, and he kind of goes into silly challenges. Dyer gave away a silly penalty against. Um, against Chelsea and then you lost 1-0 and so yeah there, there just doesn't seem to be a lot of confidence in that um, in that defensive unit I don't think that's only down to Lloris and Lloris is also one of those players who can you know kind of be be a bit amazing or he'll go on a run of two or three games where he, he starts throwing them in so I think um, he he's one of those who's got enough credit in the bank um, I know his um, expected goals you know prevented um, his statistic is pretty is pretty good. So I think probably, you know, without being a Spurs fan and without watching Spurs every week, I think um, Luis has probably got enough credit in the bank. But he, he is going to have, Mourinho is going to have real concerns about the defence. Well, Matthew, if we talk about the credit in the bank for Luis, that's not really up for argument. What one theory has been mooted is that Luis was amazing in the project restart phase of last season and really good up until... December, really good up until Poch got the PSG job. And all these links of Poch trying to get the band back together, do you think there's an element that his head's been turned? 
You took the words right out of my mouth. I assume that word, that's where you were going. Yes, I do think there is that sort of element to it, because Tottenham as a as a team aren't they've they've grown in the past couple of years, but it, when it comes back to a the fact that he's the fact that he is French and the fact that PSG will be favourites for the league league uh, title and also you imagine they go pretty far in the Champions League as well. So whether or not. He 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 is sort of thinking. Eh, let's let's just get through this season, and then I know Pochettino is going to come in for me in the summer. Has that had an effect on his game? Obviously, we don't know, but I wouldn't be surprised if that is the case because it would make some level of sense. Now, Max, if we're looking for a comparative measure, you only have to really look at Spurs beating City last November. At that point, Spurs flying high, City. We're all thinking, oh God, what's up with what's up with Pep's men this season? They're rubbish. The tables have turned dramatically. It's now 11 in a row for City. And really, they made Spurs look rather ordinary last Saturday night. Yeah, very much. And I think it is actually a really good, and it's probably one of the best points of comparison, is the way that a team fares against um, you know, the, the, the same team. Obviously, you only play every team twice. Um, so that's the only kind of real point of comparison. Even if, obviously, you know, it can be months apart, it could be six seven eight months apart and you know the teams might be in completely different levels of form and fitness and players might be injured or suspended or you know the manager might have changed or whatever but Tottenham looked quality against Man City in the first game and you know it was the perfect Mourinho performance counter-attack um hit them on the break super clinical solid defensively and you know Spurs did a job on City and you're right at that time um, people were saying, well, you know, it, are Mourinho and Spurs good for the title? Are Pep and and, uh, and Man City really going to struggle to, you know, hit the heights that they that they previously have? But City just seemed to be a team transformed, and Spurs also. But uh, City are on an upwards trajectory, and Spurs seemingly on a downwards um, trajectory. Um, we'll see over the course of the season how it kind of pans out, but I suspect City will keep things up. Um, and I suspect Spurs will improve, but I think it just does show the difference between Spurs and the really, really, you know, top level of the Premier League. Um, because against Chelsea, it was a really even game, you know, and, and um, you, you could have scored a couple goals. If Dyer doesn't, you know, try and flick his leg out about 17 times at Timo Werner, um, <laughs> I just don't understand why he just oh, kept no. kicking at the ball. Yeah, exactly, just, just leave him alone. Anyway, uh, but you know, you know, you gave away a silly penalty and you lose one nil, and that's it, and that's a tight game. But you know, against City, it was three nil, and and it possibly could have been more. And that is without De Bruyne and Aguero, who, if you said last season who are City's two most important players, you would probably said those two. Um, so they were they were really really quality. And what a pass by Edison, by the way. Well, exactly. I mean, it would be lazy to label it Route One football. It was just like saying incredible pass and. The scorer of that goal was Ilkay Gundogan. A two-goal haul, Matthew, the same against Liverpool. Are we looking at the player of the season here? Or is this the hot month that is just kind of where we are? But at the same time, with it being voting time, is it the most important time to have a hot month? Yeah, there's, there's, there is a case for that because I do know that the... I don't know if it's the PFA or the Football Writers. One of the voting system, it is done pretty early. So, yeah, this is the right time to be doing it if you want to be here. I... I'm not 100% sure if I want to put Gundogan as player of the season, and that's nothing against him. There have been a lot of players that I think you could put in the mix. 
I honestly it wouldn't it wouldn't shock me if Phil Foden went on and won because I think he's had a fantastic season. I think any of the Leicester players, I don't think you know if Jamie Vardy won it, I wouldn't be totally surprised. Long shot, but I wouldn't be surprised if James Madison went and won it. Even any of the Liverpool, you know, forwards, if Salah went and won it, I wouldn't be surprised. I don't think there's been any real standout players this year. There've been there's been a whole lot of A's players, A grade players. There hasn't been that A plus 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 player that normally stands out. So it's a little bit tricky if you wanna if you wanna nominate someone. But Gunawan is certainly in in and amongst in and amongst that lot. Well, Max, I was going to ask about Phil Foden. Where do you put him in such voting structures? I assume he's still eligible for the Young Player Award. Um, so if that is the case, which I'm sure it is, is he a shoo-in for that one at least? Um, yeah, I think so. I think so. He's obviously so good, but I don't know how, what, what the kind of criteria is. They might value it on kind of consistency over the whole season. And I'm sure he would have performed consistently over the whole season were he given a consistent regular place in the team. But he hasn't really... And so it might go to someone um, who's kind of played every game and been really fantastic throughout. Um, I, yeah, as I say, I don't really know the criteria, but definitely based, kind of based on talent and based on his performances, you would say um, you would say he, he'd be right up there because, you know, I don't want to say, oh, a star is born in the Liverpool performance, but he showed that he can do it in the big games. And, you know, this like scrawny kid from, from, from Stockport just took the game by the scruff of the neck and completely dismantled the the title holders um by himself you know <laughs> it was it was it was outstanding so yeah he'll definitely be up there i believe the pfa junior award is up to the age of 23 which really is of a bygone era when you think about it, matthew because i guess back when that award was invented young players weren't bursting on the scene at 17 and 18 on youtube and we all know their every movement so do you think that award should be scaled back to 21 years of age or just left as it is um, it should be scaled up so they include Jesse Lingard, who will always be a monster. So, so I think it should go upwards rather than downwards. Well, it just tapers up every year. So if he gets older, the award just keeps going up. Exactly. Bingo. Like until, until the day he retires. But, but seriously, yeah, I think there is some element to it. You say 23. I think 21 probably would make a lot more sense. Or even if you want to go back and just have it as you know a teenage award. So as long as you played... The, so long as at some point during the season you had a teen at the end of your number, then that should that should absolutely. So I think that would make the cut off limit twenty. Yeah, I think twenty three is probably a little bit too much because that means Phil Foden is going to be eligible for the next couple of years, and it just kind of seems rather redundant at that point. Yeah, very good point. Okay, let's swing back to Saturday and Max Palace Burnley, an encounter really dead rubber within ten minutes. So is that the kind of result? Dare I say the kind of performance where Steve Parrish looks at that and thinks to himself. Do you know what? I think me and Roy might have to have that difficult conversation soon. Um, yeah, I, I don't want to be too reactionary, but it was, um, and I can't stress this enough, really bad. Yeah, I watched <laughs> it in full, and I thought you were bad, to be fair. Um, and I, I don't want to take too much credit away from Burnley, because they were kind of all, they were all right, but they weren't spectacular. You know, it, Palace's defending was really, really shoddy um, in that one, for, <laughs> for, for, for one of the use of a, of a, of a more... Uh, more of a more sweary word um but yeah it, it was it was really shocking and you know Burnley are the worst attack in the division or one of the worst attacks in the division and they were 2-0 up in 10 minutes and the you know Palace is supposedly play defense first kind of conservative counter-attacking football um which is kind of fine in itself 
but then you need to actually be good at defending. It's a bit like Mourinho and Spurs. You know, you can't play, you can't park the bus if your bus has 17 holes in it and the Premier League's worst attack um, go, go 2 0 up so quickly. And yeah, it was just throwing goals away. Um, you know, the fact that Matt Lowton hadn't scored a Premier League goal in about eight years. It's just classic Palace to, to 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 give him a goal. To be honest, I'm surprised that we didn't play um, when we played Everton that Tony Hibbert didn't score a hat trick because it's just it's just so classic Palace for like people to score their first goals in you know ten years or their first goal for the club or their debut goal or whatever against Palace because we're just so generous like that. Um, it was it was really really disappointing and you know if you lose a tight game to a couple of goals. So Newcastle earlier this season was was uh, an example. We were basically, it was quite a close game throughout. And, you know, we had a lot of the possession, a lot of the chances probably weren't clinical enough. And then Newcastle just scored two goals on the counter-attack right at the end. And you think, oh, you know, that, that, that just happens. That's football. But to lose 3-0 fairly, that was a fair result to Burnley. Um, yeah, it, it's, not, it's not really good enough. The football was pretty terrible. We didn't really have any chances. And, Looking at the teams on paper, you'd say Palace probably have a bit more talent in that team, but they were just extremely uninspired. And yeah, I don't want to be too reactionary and you know start saying Roy out after one defeat because if we'd have beaten Burnley, we'd have actually um, had the most points at that stage of the season ever in the Premier League. You know, so if we win that game, we're thinking right, well this is the best we've ever done. But at the same time, it is the most talented group we've ever had, and. The performances and the results haven't haven't really been good enough. Maybe you know, maybe I'm I'm being a bit a bit too over ambitious for that because you know we're 14th and that is probably not far off as the best thing we could hope for. But I just you know you just get a little bit sick of the of the negative football and, and you know getting spanked three 0 by Burnley. <laughs> so Matthew, from a neutral point of view and that negative football. Hopefully, there's going to be a point in time soon where supporters are going to be allowed back into grounds, and that should mean season ticket purchases. So, with money being tight for everyone, is that a brand of football that's going to put Palace fans off from dipping into their pockets to get a season ticket? And because of that, that sort of adds more fuel to the potential difficult conversation that Steve might have to have with Roy. Yeah, that's a very interesting point, the way you put it like that. I think, I think we can sort of all agree that basically the way that the season got. This is probably going to be Roy Hodgson's last season in charge of Crystal Palace. I mean, well, to no, be fair, he, though, just think, we've been saying this for about three years now. and keeps... we, have, <laughs> yeah, we have affairs, but I just think, just like we always say, you know, Wigan will go down eventually. In the yeah. I think this is definitely the year that it's going to happen. So I think this may be... I think what might need to happen is a, a an Arsene Wenger style or a Sir Alex Ferguson style, you know, in March, say, when season ticket renewals come out and say... No, Roy Hodgson will be stepping down at the end of at the end of the season. I think that's probably the best way to go, just to give some level of clarity on that front. Because as I, this this Roy Hodgson thing cannot go on, and I love Roy to bits, so I will not have a word, bad word said against him. But there is just a level of you know stagnation at Crystal Palace at this at this time, and you know, and we had it. You no, know, not we, the societal we had it last season with that. Was it nine losses in a row or something? When lockdown ended, uh, eight, and eight defeats, one draw out of the last nine, I believe. 
that was it. It was something incredibly bad. So I think we are probably going to get start getting into that sort of territory again. So they need to make sure they have a solid plan ready for the future. And they don't have to announce who the next manager is going to be. I know that Sean Dyche has been linked with the job and Eddie Howe as well. So we don't have to say, oh, he's going to take over. But so long as Roy Hodgson and the club and the fans know that you know this has come to an end, then I think that's probably just about good enough. Well, Max, that was going to be my next question because Sean Dyche is always in the frame. But with Burnley being taken over and probable funds finally materialising at Turf Moor, does that sort of tempt the gruff-voiced man to stay up north? Do you then have to pivot your efforts to Eddie Howe? Um, potentially, yeah. I mean, Palace is probably, and I don't want to get, you know, sound like one of those um, deluded fans who thinks their club is absolutely massive when it's not. But we probably are a, a small step up on Burnley. Um, I think being in London helps. Um, you know, our, we've developed our academy where um our academy teams are doing pretty well um you know we're fairly solid with developing our stadium um maybe you know i, I think that what really might might tempt him to stay would be the the promise of um you know more funds from the new owners and i don't know obviously what what's been what, what they've said to him but it would be you know probably silly for him to have stayed for however long he stayed five years longer um with no, on a shoestring, and then new, big new American owners come in. Are they American? American? Yep. Yeah, big new American owners come in, and then he kind of buggers off. Um, you know, the, the transfer window before the new guy gets a hundred million to spend away, and I don't think they'll give him a hundred million. But you know, the, the promise of funds might be there for the first time in a long time, and so that might be a factor in him staying. Um, beyond that, it's it's kind of difficult to say because Eddie Howe you'd think he'd come um, to a team like Palace. I don't think he'd get an offer from a better or bigger team. Um, but then he also um, went down with Bournemouth, having spent a fair amount of money um, on some dross players, um, which Parrish won't be pleased with. But then, you know, if you go for someone like Steve Cooper from Swansea in the Championship, he's unproven in the Premier League. So it's it's, it's tricky. It's tricky. Um, I My dad reckons um, we might get Lampard's. And I would be pretty happy with that, especially if we might have Roy as a kind of advisor or director of football, kind of moving upstairs to kind of manage the transition. Um, because obviously a dozen players are out of contract, all the coaches are out of contract. Um, basically half of our Premier League squad could go this summer. And so to manage that transition, I, I think it would be a little bit too much of a of an upheaval to get rid of all our coaches and our manager and half our t and half our squad. Um, so potentially someone like Lampard. And I also can't see Lampard getting a better offer than Palace. It would be kind of a good place for him to maybe rebuild his career where he'd have the time and a little bit of money um, to kind of to kind of build a proper project. And we wouldn't sack him over a three-game winless run, you know, like uh, Roman Abramovich might have. Um, but it's difficult to say. But, um, yeah, hopefully it gets sorted out soon because I don't know. I assume that the that the uncertainty ha is, is having an effect on the squad because we've, we've really looked out of sorts in the last couple of games. And obviously, if you were coming to the last three, four months of your contract at a you know, an office job or, or in whatever career you're in and you had absolutely no idea whether you were going to be retained beyond the summer, um, all your bosses are out of contract and half of the staff are out of contract. You know, you'd, <laughs> you'd feel a bit unsettled and I think that's translating to the pitch at the moment. So hopefully it gets sorted quite soon one way or the other. 
Well, you mentioned Lampard. He was in my notes today as well. Because, Matthew, where does he go next? Because when you look at his CV, it was an incredibly quick ascendancy. Derby, Chelsea. Really, to a certain degree, anything post-Chelsea is a step down. So how far do sorry how far do those steps down go for young Frank? I don't think there'll be there'll be too big a drop down. I think I Chelsea. I don't I don't think he's going to be struggling to find a job in League One, for instance. I think if there's a Championship job, as long as it's not too far down. You know, no disrespect to the likes. You know, if they're even in the Championship this season, the Barnsley or Rotherham. <laughs> yeah, they are. They are. I, don't, I don't. I don't think it's going to be that far down. The <laughs> you getting all snobby now? Fulham in the Premier League, you're just forgetting about teams. <laughs> Well, they're out of my mind. I don't need to worry about that division. For another few months, I don't need to worry about that division. Um, But yeah, I don't think it's going to be that level. I think a high-end championship job, low-end Premier League, or say quietly, I think come the end of the season, I reckon Celtic might be in with a shout. I think that's that's probably going to be where he'll get a soft-ish landing. He'll be uh, in the Champions League, I think. Because I know there's something weird with the coefficient up in Scotland. Yeah, they should get think, two slots, shouldn't they? If they or one of them goes, one of them goes into the qualifying stages, I think. I or is it both? So. Yeah, whatever. Champions League slash European football straight away for for Celtic immediately in the title race, and then the media loving will be on Lampard and Gerrard in the same city. Oh, how great will that be? I think that's probably the level that he can probably. I don't want to say aspire to, but that's probably the only positions that are likely to be available that he'll be able to get. That's a very good shout, actually. A little left field, but like you say, Sky Sports would be eating up Lampard versus Gerrard north of the border. Max, a quick note about Burnley. Obviously, they won at the weekend. The takeover, you know, there are meant to be funds coming, but the leverage debt, similar to the Glazers at Man United, is that going to be a bit of a concern? Yeah, yeah, potentially, potentially. Um, and yeah, by the way, on the Lampard-Gerrard thing, yeah, it would be interesting to see after so many managers had the quandary of trying to see how they fitted in the same midfield, will they fit in the same division? Good, like <laughs> but, it. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that, that would be a nice narrative, wouldn't it? Um, but yes, somewhere like Celtic, um, maybe somewhere the level of Palace kind of mid-table, I can't see it, I can't see it going further than that. Okay, then let's switch to Matthew's beloved Fulham. Now, I believe, Matthew, you didn't watch your majestic and historic 2-0 away win at Everton. Has that result allowed you just to breathe a little bit more life into your season? I think, do you know what? It's not just done yet. It has. There should be some context to this. Basically, Fulham haven't won. The the stats were there. We haven't won at Everton in the league ever. And we haven't won there since 1975. And before that, we haven't won there since 9.6. So it was a pretty historical thing. But... It was Valentine's Day and I had dinner with my girlfriend, yes. who I love who I love to bits. Mel, I, I don't know if she's listening. If she's, I love her to bits. But the one <laughs> game where we break history, and I, I mean, obviously it's not the same because I wasn't, you know, I wasn't at the ground, which would be even more special. But the fact that I didn't know about it until sort of an hour after the game had gone. So I missed all the Twitter reaction that was going on and all the WhatsApp reaction. I mean... I love I love my girlfriend two bits, but it was just just a little bit just a little bit sad on that point that I missed it. But overall, this one win in in its context doesn't really mean all that lot because we're still seven points behind Newcastle, who are in seventeenth. There is still a lot of long way to go. We play Burnley tomorrow night, which if we can take the momentum that brings us because that's a game in hand that would take us to four points behind Newcastle. There's still a lot of work to be done, but it just comes back to what we said at the start of the season. If we play like this, 
then we should be absolutely okay. I think we were talking about it when we were doing well against, did well against Man City, beat Leicester, drawed Liverpool. All, all well and good. But then we went and drew against uh, West Brom and Brighton, which kind of took the momentum out of it. So we really need to follow this up because if we go and lose against Burnley, then all the hard work is effectively wasted. So it gives us a little bit of, a little bit of light, a little bit of hope. But at the same time, we need to follow it up. Otherwise, it means absolutely jack K poo. Okay, then, Matthew, stay with you, because I think we need to talk kazoo. I don't know where we are. Are we in? Are we out? I think, really, Calvert-Lewin has removed the shackles of science, and I think the experiment has probably come to its natural conclusion. Is that a fair statement to make? I mean, Calvert-Lewin's injured, isn't he? Because uh, I threw my kazoo in the bin as a sort of symbolic thing. <laughs> Calvert- Calvert-Lewin's season is in the bin, and so is the kazoo. So I don't know whether or not I should be looking around to find it at the moment. But yeah, um, we don't have to worry about that equation for the next couple of weeks or so. So that's a good thing. We don't have to worry about the science on that front. It was fun while it lasted, whilst we thought we had some power of control over over his whole thing we should probably explain the whole kazoo thing started because we wanted him in the england squad that's right so that's that's where and he got in the england squad so in theory the kazoo worked because i remember it all started because i wanted a jamie vardy bell for the england squad and the kazoo was the best thing i could find so if i can buy another kazoo um, to represent the england squad call-ups because those discussions are going to kick up in the next couple of months then maybe we'll do it for that but in terms of calvin lewin that discussion that kazoo is you know is in the bin Okay, right, let's agree then. Let's fold phase one of Kazoo. But you're absolutely right, Matthew, that we are going to be talking about getting on the plane soon. Well, hopefully, if the championships go ahead. And I think we are going to... Um, be... on the, uh, hang on, on the plane? They're not going anywhere. Yeah, I mean, They're playing all their I mean, games in England. That's true. But you know what I mean, though? But yeah, you know, yeah. Just the terminology of getting on the plane. But there are going to be those conversations and we definitely need some form of instrument or noise to signify such player being on the plane, etc., etc. So if we can find something, maybe something else than a Kazoo then we'll run with that also. Now, Max, staying with you, Everton, are they the wild card in the top four slash top six? Or is that defeat to Fulham a massive blow when you consider they've also got Man City in midweek? So are they kind of, I guess, net points, it looks good, but you need those points on the board, don't you? Yeah, yeah, you do, you do. And and if they win their next two games, which I don't think, I don't think it'll be Man City, but if they win their next two games, then they'll be you know, above above Chelsea and West Ham and Liverpool in fourth. But yeah, I think that they're they're just kind of building they're building their squad and they're going in the right direction and they're definitely taking the right steps and they're a good team. They've got good players, but I don't think they're quite there yet in terms of a European push. I think they might finish where they are now, about sixth or seventh. And that is even assuming that um Arsenal and Tottenham and Villa don't have a kind of later resurgence in the season and and move above them. Um, so I think they're about where they deserve to be. They're not quite at that Europa League level yet, I don't think. But as I say, they're going in the right direction. Max, I'll stay with you because uh, we spoke about Newcastle last week and how they dug in and got a good win against Southampton. And at that point, you're thinking they're probably all right in terms of survival. They've got Graham Jones installed, they're playing a bit more attacking football, but a week is a long time in football and eight, of course, is even longer. And that's the amount of time that Callum Wilson is set to be out. So is that the period where Fulham are looking at this and thinking this is the time that we have to go for broke and do our best to claw back that gap? Yeah, very much. Because when Wilson is fit, you know, Newcastle are so much better. And even um, when Palace played Newcastle and beat them, um, the other week had to get that in there probably the last time we won in the last 53 years um, but Wilson was really really good in that game and he was so creative um, you know strong and quick and intelligent 
and held up the play really nicely, created chances for others, a real goal threat. And he kind of, he nips that whole attack around him in the, in the same way that Firmino does for for Liverpool and, and Vardy does for Leicester. He was really, really good. And, and Newcastle's backups probably aren't of the requisite quality. You know, you think Almiron is good and hardworking, but not not an out-and-out striker. Fraser, Sim Maximan, they're wide players who are good at, you know, getting crosses in, but who's going to be there to put them away? Gale, Carroll, Jolinton. Gale is okay, um, and he's got a special place in my heart, obviously, as a former Palace player. But, yeah, th- this is the time when Newcastle are going to be struggling to score, and they're still going to be, you know, conceding because they've got a fair amount of uh, injury worries in defence. So this is the time, really, that Fulham need to target catching them. And to be honest, I think West Brom and Sheffield United are down. But um, Fulham still have the opportunity of catching Newcastle and Burnley and Brighton um, and and those kind of teams. And yeah, this is the time where they need to do it, when Newcastle are going to really, really be struggling to to score goals without Wilson there. Matthew, is that something you would agree with? Uh, Yeah, for the the (laughs) most part. Yeah, I... It's it's going to be an interesting interesting relegation battle to for certainty, and I do sort of agree. West Brom and Crystal Palace. No, what not Crystal Palace? West Brom and Sheffield United. <laughs> you could probably count them out of the equation. I wish I could count Crystal Palace out of the equation, but yeah, West Brom and Sheffield United probably at this point gone. So it, it's Fulham and then you know two maybe three others really in contention. Okay, Matthew, I'll stay with you. Newcastle lost to Chelsea on Monday night. It's quickly becoming a case of Frank Lampard who because the Thomas Tuchel era is flying and it looks like a really really shrewd decision is it so shrewd that they're now in the box seat for the top four at the expense of someone like Liverpool yeah I think the new the new manager bounce is probably going to take is probably going to cover them for the next couple of weeks and then are Liverpool or someone like that going to be in a position to to catch them up as it were I, I don't really think so I think they, I, I still think Chelsea would have been okay in competing for the Europe, even if they didn't get rid of Frank Lampard. But this was just a move to solidify that chase, as it were. So they, it's it's not wrapped up and guaranteed, but it's looking more and more likely as, as the weeks go on. So in a, in a way, all credit to Roman Vranovic for making the decision because it's probably going to work out in the end. Well, yeah, by that token, that decision is probably the worst thing that could happen to Spurs because obviously Spurs' own problems are their own doing. But the fact that Chelsea are rejuvenated, makes the top four race even tougher and you only need Liverpool to pull their finger out and, as Max said earlier, win two, they're back in the frame. So I can't see Spurs getting top four at all. But Max, Chelsea, they're going to need goals and they got a goal from Timo Werner last night. His goal drought finally comes to an end. Relief for him, but I guess now it's a case of using that as a platform and not just thinking, OK, that's a goal in isolation. At least the drought has ended. I now need to go out and do it regularly. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think what, what would be the worry for, for Chelsea fans is if he wasn't getting in the right positions and if he wasn't, you know, having the chances and if he was completely off the pace. But I mean, he's obviously he's obviously in the right positions. It just hasn't been, you know, falling his way, basically. But he did really well to, to um, create the goal. And even in the last couple of weeks and months when he hasn't scored, he's been a kind of crucial part of their attack in the pressing and in... Um, and in the harrying defenders and, you know, with his passing and crossing. And he set up the goal really nicely um, for Giroud, I think it was. Um, he did really well in the build-up of that. And so, you know, he, he is obviously talented. It's just him finally getting the ball over the line. And he missed a couple of chances before he scored. And then um, 
Yeah, I, I don't know if you saw the finish, but it, he kind of almost scuffed that in from yeah. two yards out. He almost found a way, contrived uh, to, to find a way to not to not score that that complete tap in. But the most important thing is he scored it. It's a goal. He's got that monkey off his back now. You know, people will stop writing newspaper reports about it's now seven games, eight games, twenty hours since he last scored, whatever it is, um, and he can just kind of focus on 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 being a, a quality creative attacking player which he is um yeah hopefully he can use that as a as a platform to to kind of build it and get the next five or ten or fifteen goals um because he's clearly um he, as i say he's clearly talented um it's just about you know having that confidence and with goalkeeper and striker probably above all other positions it's just a confidence position and when you start overthinking things um you know, when you've got too much time in a one-on-one and when you're not sure and when you're in a bit of a tricky run and you're under pressure, that's when you start missing uh, easy chances. And he has missed some easy chances, but this is hopefully only the start for him. OK, let's go to the South Coast on Sunday because two teams lower than where they want to be in the league and for Southampton, their plight is only getting worse. Six straight defeats now, Matthew. Where's it all going wrong for the Saints? Uh... That's a, that's a that's a good question because again this has sort of all come come out of nothing, you, like the 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 result against Man United, for instance, you can just put that down to one blip. You know, no one loses line nil. Oh wait, Southampton do. Um, but yeah, it's I think maybe they're just a victim of just reverting back to the normal because I think they got off a really good start to the season and everyone was saying oh they could push for a European place and now things are just reverting reverting back to the norm as it were. So. While six losses isn't exactly, or six games without a win isn't exactly the greatest thing for them to have, it's not a disaster in the grand scheme of things. They're just similar, in a in a similar way, similar to Crystal Palace last season. They got the points that they really needed. They're going to have a bit of a blip, and then come the end of the season, they'll end up roughly where they should have been. Well, Max, that was in my notes, really. It's just a case of regression to the mean, maybe a little bit on top of that as well. But is it a case of, because of that, there was raised expectations at the start of the season after a good start, and now it just means they're getting further disappointment. Yeah, I mean, potentially, potentially. They were probably overachieving at the start of the season. I mean, it was kind of unsustainable. And they have got quite a thin squad as well. So, for example, they really struggled without um, Kyle Walker-Peters um, being fit. And obviously, he's could be out for, for another couple of games now. Um, but yeah, I think it's kind of more regression to the mean. But then, you know, we've seen a team who had loads of confidence last year and were getting loads of narrow wins in Sheffield United. That has just completely drained out of them, and they look like a completely different team. And the Southampton that, you know, was in the European places earlier this season, they just look like a completely different team now. They've drained of all confidence, and they have had bad injuries, but there's only, there's only you know, you can only use that as an excuse to, 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 to a certain extent, um, because now basically all their players are back almost, and they've got a almost full strength team, and yet you know they're they're still losing. They're still finding ways to lose games. Um, although to be fair, in the Wolves game, um, I thought they were they were pretty good, and they were probably a little bit unlucky to to lose. They had a couple of kind of tight um, penalty handball decisions go against them. Uh, seemingly, um, uh, a ball was smashed at Bertrand, and he got penalised. And then the ball hit Dendonka's arm in the Wolves box, and didn't get punished. Um, so that that could have easily gone gone the other way. And then you know we're talking about them being tenth or eleventh, um, and you know kind of crisis over. But 
yeah, they'll, they'll be a little bit worried because um, the confidence does really, really doesn't seem to be there at the moment. And they're kind of losing games that earlier in the season they probably would have won. OK, then, Matthew, West Ham for Europe. Can this actually happen? Please discuss. Europe, I think yes. I think Champions League is probably going to be is probably going to be a no. I think what's what's interesting. I was literally just writing about this at work, is the fact that their next six games, or within the next six games, they've got the likes of Tottenham, Man City, Wolves, Leeds, Arsenal, and all that lot. Basically, the teams that are in and around them in the European in the European battle. So there's lots of effectively six pointers up for grabs. I think West Ham have had a fantastic season, but. Overall, when push comes to shove, I just think the lack of experience, you know, similar, similar, we talked about Leicester last season, you know, they did do how many, how many of them had the experience of, you know, fighting for something at the end of the season, apart from those ones that were in the title race. And that's probably what didn't get them over the line. It's probably the same sort of situation with West Ham, you know, how many times has Mark Noble really been fighting for something at the end of the season? Declan Rice... You know, uh, Suchek, I don't know what his career has been like beforehand. Fabianski, all that lot. How many of them have gone through it? When it come, when push comes to shove, they'll probably lose a couple of games to the likes of, you know, Tottenham, say, or Man City. And out of the Champions League, you know, I think they're already all out of the Champions League now because of Chelsea's when they're now fifth. So Champions League, probably too much of a stretch. But depending on how the league works out with... You know, if sixth or seventh gets whatever it is in the European spot, they'll certainly be in with a shout. Max, Jesse Lingard for England again. Can this actually happen? Please discuss. Um, yeah, I mean, it might be a little bit early to, for, for that kind of thing, especially given how strong England are in the kind of midfield and, and forward areas. But if he keeps it up, then, you know, he's, he's got to be in contention. When you think about people like James Ward-Prowse, who's, who's basically just a, a free kick taker, and that's that's it. Um, be, be, being named in the England squad and, you know, kind of Harry Winks and, and players like that. And I know Lingard isn't a centre mid, but he's kind of in that midfielder forward group. And if players who are kind of as prosaic as Winks and uh, Ward-Prowse are getting in the England team, then I can't see why Lingard shouldn't be in, you know, in contention or under discussions if he keeps up uh, his form. Because as you say, he's been really fit and sharp and, uh, and and creative and exciting for, for West Ham uh, since he joined. He looks like he he's kind of hasn't, hasn't had a period out of football at all. He looks like he's been playing every week, which is a credit to him and, you know, how kind of physically and mentally sharp he, he's kept himself. I doubt it that he'd get in the England team for the Euros, um, given, you know, the likes of Saka, Foden, Grealish, Mount, Madison, all these really talented kind of attacking midfielders, wingers, forwards. Um, but he, he he will be under discussion, I think, if he keeps it up. OK, then, let's finish with a quick-fire round. Matthew, Arsenal versus Leeds. Do you think Arteta has finally unlocked an attacking combination with Saka, Odegaard and Smith-Rowe all behind Aubameyang? Or was this just a one-off to deal with exciting Leeds? I think there's an element of that Leeds have shown in the past how they can be you know, suspect when it comes to playing at the back and I think they are still playing without their full their full strength centre back or defensive pair, uh, line pairings so there is some element of that but on the other hand Arsenal do have a pretty you know exciting attacking future with likes of Saka with Odegaard if they decide to keep him because he's on loan and Smith Rowe I think that's you know pretty pretty fun and exciting uh, 
front three behind Aubameyang as the sort of leader of the pack. I think there is potentially something there, but I think it should also be, you know, quantified with the fact that it was against Leeds United. Good answer. And Max, as for Manchester United, any lingering hope of them winning the title? Is it fair to say it's finally dissipated after that meek 1-1 draw at West Brom? Um, yeah, possibly, possibly. Um, they are, I mean, yeah, we were saying that uh, Leicester were completely out of it and then, you know, level on points with United in second. Um, but when you think City will probably be 10 points ahead um, if they win their game in hand, which they, they look like winning every game at the moment, um, then 10 points with, uh, what is it, 14 games left, that, that's that's a pretty big challenge to, to overcome. But, you know, that... They could easily. I don't think they're gonna. They're gonna catch City, and but I don't also think that the title race is completely over. Um, but it does show the kind of the improvement at United because people still kind of see Solskjaer as a bit of a joke manager or kind of only signed because um, because of his because of his history as a player uh, at the club. But if he finishes second above this um, this kind of chasing pack of you know Liverpool and Chelsea and Leicester um, and all of that, it, I think it'll be pretty seriously impressive result um, for them, given obviously how strong City are and given City have a much better squad, in my opinion, you know, much more well-rounded, much more depth in that squad. Um, I think it would have been a really, really good uh, good job well done for, for, for Solskjaer if they finish second. I can't see them overtaking City, though. OK, and I'll finish with Brighton versus Aston Villa. Fair to say, an incredible performance from Villa's Martinez in goal. A good point for Brighton. Maybe two points dropped for Villa in their hopes for a European place, but an entertaining nil-nil all the same. Right, need to do the admin now, which is as simple as thanking my two pod squad members this afternoon. Max, thanks for your time. I hope you enjoyed that one. Yeah, very much, very much. See you next week. Cheers, buddy. And Matthew, thanks for stepping up and wearing the captain's armband this week. Thanks for your time as yeah. always. Yeah, no problem. Always a pleasure. Fantastic. Cheers, guys. And also to the listeners out there. And with that said, it just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. This is The Real Football Cast. And until next time, goodbye. Podcast Network.